to do that. So with that, let me go ahead and pray and then give you our next topic for the day. Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for all that you've uh, shown us today already. And I pray now that as I open the word, as we hear from you, that you would greatly encourage us about the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. So this afternoon, I would like to give you what I would perceive as my motive or our motive for being missionaries. Why are we missionaries? In fact, this is probably my favorite portion of Scripture in all the Bible. It's like my favorite sermon right here. Okay, So this is it. This is really my heart, and I hope the heart of God as we look at this. It's called, I've entitled the sermon, The Glory of His Grace. The Glory of His Grace. Go with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. I love this this parable because it really, really is very emotional, and I'm a pretty emotional guy. And so when I was studying this passage, my whole being resonated with what I was seeing here. And that's a very disturbing parable, the parable of the workers, because after a preliminary reading, you're going to conclude, hey, wait a minute, this is just not fair. There's something not right that sits when you read this parable. And if you feel that way, that's exactly where God wants us to be. He wants us to be uncomfortable in front of this parable. That's a whole reason why Jesus gave us this parable. And what we're going to see is this parable describes grace. Grace. What is grace? It describes grace, and we are going to see that grace is not fair. Grace has nothing to do with anything being fair. This will all become very clear as we look through this. We will see that grace is enormous. It is something of great magnitude. It is overwhelming because grace is not fair in the human sense of the word. Grace is nothing but mercy, benevolence, and kindness from the hand of God. So what is grace? What is grace? Grace is, quote, the freely given, unmerited favor and love of God. It is receiving from God what we don't deserve. And what is it that we don't deserve? Salvation. We do not deserve salvation. That is grace. So what I'm going to do now is, first of all, we're we're going to break this into three parts. Number one, the parable. We're just going to walk through the parable. Number two, we're going to look at the purpose. Why is it there? And thirdly, principles. We're going to draw some principles out of the parable. So let's just look at this parable. It's very simple. Let's look at it. Verse 1 of Matthew 20. For the kingdom of heaven... Ah, right there, let's stop. What's the parable about? Kingdom of heaven, okay? The kingdom of heaven on earth. Let's go on. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So, there's a landowner. There's a guy. He's a ruler, let's say. He owns a vineyard. And harvest time has arrived. You probably know about that. I think there's a lot of wine around here. Okay. And most landowners did not have enough full-time work to be able to keep these guys all year. So when harvest time came, they'd go to the market of the village and they'd hire these laborers who were sitting around waiting to be hired. That may happen even in Australia. I don't know how it works. It does happen in many parts of the world still today. So it says in verse 1 that he went out early in the morning. It is 6 a.m. 6 a.m., that's when the day started there, and it went all the way to 6 p.m. So he goes to the village square at 6 a.m., verse 2, Now when he had agreed with the laborers for denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. So they have a discussion, and because 
they agreed upon this wage. He was a very honest man, fair man. He was known. And so they agreed to a denarius. Now, it's very important to know this. One denarius was the wage of a Roman soldier for one day. Okay, trained soldier get paid one denarius a day. So these guys are actually doing really, really well. These are unskilled laborers. So they're hired, super happy, great pay, going to the field to work. Verse 3. And when they went out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to those he said, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give to you. And so they went. So here's the third hour. It's 9 a.m. He goes back, repeat situation. He sees more people standing in the marketplace waiting to be hired. So he hires them. We don't hear here exactly how much he pays, but it's fair pay. Okay, that's what happens. Um, he will, whatever is right, I will give to you. So they're all excited and they go into the fields really, really happy. Verse 5, again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did the same thing. Wow, sixth and ninth hour. The sixth hour, which is high noon, ninth hour, which is 3 p.m. He goes back in the marketplace. He sees these guys waiting around to be hired. I mean, this is noon, 3 p.m. It's starting to get late in the day. And he sees laborers standing in the marketplace. And it's the same thing. He agrees upon a wage, sends them into the field. They go super happy, imagine, to be hired at noon and at 3 p.m. Verse 6. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing and said to them, Why have you been standing here idle all day long? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You too go into the vineyard. Okay, this is the eleventh hour. This is like 5 p.m. The day stops at 6 p.m. They're still there waiting in the marketplace. Is it possible that they knew this guy hired all day long? We don't know. But anyway, they're there, they're waiting. This guy shows up. He says, why are you here? He says, well, we've been, no one's hired us. And so he says, you two go into the vineyard. Wow. How do you think these guys felt? Are you serious? 5 p.m.? They go into the vineyard, get paid for one hour, go home. They're thrilled. They're thrilled. So he hires them on the spot, sends them out for rightful pay. There's the story. That was fast. That's the story. That's the parable. The landowner hires five successive waves of workers at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., 12 noon, 3 p.m., and 5 p.m. and send them into his vineyard. Well, without reading it yet, that brings us to verse 8. Verse 8 is really, really interesting because it is 6 p.m. pay time. Oh, yeah. Let me ask you a question. Honest. I don't know if this is appropriate in Australia or not. Do you like to get paid? Is that an appropriate question? I love getting paid. I think it's really great. I, I can't wait for my monthly. I get paid monthly. I don't know how it works here. Every 15th of the month, it's coming up. Oh, yeah. Okay. I get paid. I love getting paid. It's great to get paid. Jesus said it was okay to get paid and to get excited about it because he said in Luke 10, 7, a laborer is worthy of his wage. If you work, Calvin would agree too. If you work, you get paid. No problem. So these guys are tired, they're filthy, they're hungry, maybe grumpy. They can't wait to, to get their money and go home. So verse 8 says, And when the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group first. Okay. Very, very strange thing happens here. 
In fact, two very strange things happen here. First of all, in verse 8, the landowner asked the steward to pay the last hired worker first. Right? When the evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the laborers and pay their wages beginning with the last group first. He asked them to pay the guy who was hired last, the guy who was paid at, hired at 5 p.m., pay him first and pay everyone in that order. Now, folks, I'm from Switzerland. I would have done the opposite. I would have probably paid the guy hired first, first, and the guy hired last, last. I don't know about you. That's the way I think. So this guy's like asking him to do it the reverse order. That's really weird. So the guy who was hired first at the beginning of the line, the guy who worked 12 hours is at the very end of the line. And they start getting paid. Second weird thing happens with regards to the amount paid to each worker. Verse 9, And when those who were hired about the 11th hour, 5 p.m., came, they each received one denarius. Okay, guys, let's just think about this. It's 6 p.m. You were hired an hour ago. You get to the line. You've picked a few grapes. You show up. You're waiting for your pay. One denarius. A whole day's wage for one hour's work. Let me ask you, how are you feeling? This is how I'm feeling. Whoa! This is like way, way cool. This is like the best day of my life. This is every man's dream. Little work, big pay, right? That's what everyone wants. Small work, big pay. This is a huge moment for these guys who worked one hour. Okay, now let me ask you this question. What do you think the guys at the back of the line were thinking? This is what they were thinking. Because very quickly the word got out. Wow, the guy at the front, he boarded an hour, he got a Daenerys. Whoa! He was thinking, okay, he worked one hour, got one Daenerys. I worked 12 hours. I'm going to get 12 Daenerys. Daenerii, sorry. I'm going to get 12 Daenerii. I mean, just do the math. If this guy worked one hour, got a day's wage, well, it's only logical that I would get like two weeks wage for one day's work. So they're all excited about this. That's exactly what the verse says. In verse 9, And when the hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. When those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. So they were all excited. They thought they would receive more. And then suddenly the composure of everyone began to like crash. Because the end of verse 10 says, But each of them also received a denarius. Everybody got one denarius. Okay, now, let's stop right there. Let me ask you a question. This is the question. Do you think that's fair? Oh, that was a quick answer. (laughs) Thank you. How honest is that? Is that fair or not? Are you feeling a little uncomfortable with this? You should. That's the point. I mean, really, is your heart just a little troubled here? 
Are you struggling with this? Well, verse 10 says, if you are struggling, you're not the only one who is struggling. When those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each one of them received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the land loan, at the landowner saying, these last men have worked what long, only, only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day? I mean, frankly, I get what he's saying. Hey, is this fair? I mean, like this guy showed up at 5 p.m., you know, in the cool breeze. He picked like three grapes and he gets a whole day's wage. I've been sweating out here for 12 hours. I mean, hard labor, you know, and just sweating the, 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 midi, the, 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 the Mideastern sunshine. And I get at the end of the day and you're giving me the same wage? Is that fair? So the text says they grumbled. Why? Why do they complain? Not because the landowner paid the last worker hired one denarius, but because they did not receive more. They thought it was like this, hey, I should get more. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burn and the scorching heat of the day. Wow. So frankly... Humanly speaking, I, I sort of understand. I really understand their reasoning. I understand their complaint. So, if we're troubled by this, this is exactly where Jesus wants us to be. He wants us to be troubled here. So, how does the landowner answer? Verse 13. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go, but I wish to give to the last man the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So, so the, you can stop right there. You know what he's saying? Verse 13, here it is. I am doing you no wrong. This is the key. The key is that the landowner has done no wrong to anybody. In fact, just the opposite. Just the opposite. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? You see, what we find out is that this landowner is good to all. I mean, he gave a ton to everybody. Let me ask you this. Was the landowner unfair to pay the last worker one denarius? The guy that worked one hour. Was that unfair for him to give him a whole day's wage? No. That was like super abundant generous, Right? Well, was the landowner unfair to pay the first worker guy that worked 12 hours one denarius? No, you remember? That was the wage of a Roman soldier. They agreed upon that. That was a very good salary for the work done. Was it unfair for the landowner to pay the guy hired at 9, 12, noon, 3 p.m. one denarius? No. All these guys got a super good deal that day. Overabundant that they, what they deserved. You see, the landowner was good and generous to all, from the first to the last. That's really important. The problem is not the landowner. The problem is the attitude of the workers hired first. They thought they deserved more. So that's the parable. That's the parable. Point two, the purpose. I don't know about you, but when you read parables like that, you're going, oh, wow, why is it there? <laughs> like, what's it doing there? Why... Did God put this here for us in Matthew chapter 20? 
Okay? Well, let me show you. I think, I think I, I hope, I hope I get this right. I think the point where the purpose emerges in verse 16. This is how he ends the parable. So the last shall be first and the first last. That's clear, isn't it? <laughs> now let me clear it for you. <laughs> clear it up for you, okay? Now some Bibles add, for many are called, but few are chosen at the end of the verse 16, but they don't appear in the better manuscripts. It seems to have been borrowed here from Matthew 22, 14. Okay, let's just forget that. Let's just look at this. What does it mean to say, so the last shall be first and the first last? Okay? The last shall be first, the first shall be last. They're inversed. Actually, what he's talking about is equality. Equality. This parable is illustrating equality in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 1. At the end, the first and the last and the same. They cross the line at the same time. This is called a dead heat race. All the laborers, whether hired early or late, receive what? One denarius. They all get the same exact amount. Now, if you want to understand the meaning of a text in the Bible, there's a little trick. Okay, here it is. It's called context. The problem is the chapter divisions weren't in the original. They were put in later. So you've got to dare to go back. So go back to the last verse of chapter 19. Look what it says. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Whoa, isn't that interesting? It's exactly the same as 2016, but inversed. Exactly the same. So, actually, if I had to put the divisions, I didn't, I would have put verse 30 of chapter 19 as the first verse in the parable. Because then you got a perfect sandwich. you got the equality verse, parable, equality verse. So what we see then is both of these verses are showing something about equality in the kingdom of heaven. But we still don't quite get it. Equality about what? Aha! you got to go back even further. Back to verse 29. Jesus says, And everyone who has loved houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Folks, that's the key. It's the word eternal life. We know that because the whole chapter 19 is about eternal life. It is the story of the rich young ruler. You remember? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, Hey, what must I do to inherit what? Eternal life. Life. And the whole chapter is about eternal life. Verse 17, if you want to enter life. Verse 21, if you want to be perfect, you shall have treasures in heaven. Verse 23, assuredly I tell you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, it is easier for a camel to enter, uh, to, to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a man to enter the kingdom of God. And verse 25, who then can be saved? You see, the context of this parable is all of chapter 19, and it's talking about salvation, about eternal life, about the final destiny of all believers. And you remember the rich man walks away depressed. And so, in verse 27, Peter says, Behold, we have left everything and followed you, Jesus. What then is there for us? And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, that if you have followed me in the generation when the Son of Man will sit on the glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit what? 
eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. You see, Peter basically says, and the disciples, that we have, we have done what the young rich ruler refused to do. We have left everything to follow you, Jesus. Everything. We've sacrificed all. What is our ultimate reward? What does Jesus say? Eternal life. Eternal life. That is your reward. Everyone who has followed Christ, even those who have had to sacrifice much, will be rewarded here on earth, he says it may be, but will receive eternal life. They will receive all the glories of heaven for all eternity. Verse 29. So here is the point. Here is the purpose of the parable. No matter what sacrifice you have to have done to follow Jesus Christ, as you have trusted Christ as your Savior, no matter what the sacrifice is, you are promised eternal life. You see, whether you were hired at the beginning of the day and had 12 long hours, or whether you were hired at the end of the day and kind of shot in through the evening breeze, The final destiny is equal for both. The pay is the same. All believers receive eternal life. Well, you go, I knew that. In fact, if you listen to my first sermon, you know that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but receive. Okay, that's what you tell to everyone that you witness to, right? Ephesians 1, 3, and 4. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Wow! You can say that to someone. Hey, you know what? If you come to Christ and embrace Him as your Savior, you will be blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ that you might be blameless before Him. You can say that to someone. That's the promise. That is the promise of eternal life. And that is the purpose and the point of this parable. To say that everyone gets eternal life at the end. Now you go, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did that need 16 verses in Holy Writ to say that? He could have economized space and just re-put John 3.16 here. Why so much space? Why this parable? To say this. Why so much space to say no matter what sacrifice you have to do to follow Christ, that eternal life is promised to all who follow Christ? Why? Well, I thought a lot about this. And this is my third point. The principles. The principles. What do we learn? Why all of this here? Let me give you the principles. Number one. See, this parable reveals the grace of God in in several areas. Number one, the grace of God shines when you consider the differing lengths of service people have for the Lord. The differing lengths of service. This comes out very clearly in the parable. Now, some work 12 hours, 
Some worked nine hours, some worked six hours, some worked three hours, some worked less than one hour, but they all got the same pay. That's what the parable is showing, right? Well, the same is true with eternal life. All believers, no matter how long they believe for, receive eternal life. Let me bring this down in a very unusual way. Go with me to Genesis chapter 5. Let me show you this. This is really interesting. And I believe and I hope this is where your heart will be gripped by the application here of this parable. Genesis chapter 5, verse 21. It's this amazing little story of a guy called Enoch. Enoch. 521. Enoch lived 65 years, then he became the father of Methuselah. Now listen to verse 22. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, Enoch walked with God for how long? 300 years. I'm 59. (laughs) That's a long time to walk with God. Right? Then it says God took him. What does that mean? Well, when God took Elijah the same way, it says in 2 Kings 2.11 that God took him by a whirlwind up to heaven. So Enoch walks with God 300 years. He's taken up to heaven. So my question is, where is Enoch today? Heaven. Heaven, right? Okay. He is enjoying the glories of eternal heaven. Now go with me to Luke 23. Let me show you something. Luke 23. It's Jesus being crucified. And as you know, he gets crucified with two thieves, one on each side of him. Luke 23, verse 33. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminal, one on his right and the other on his left. Verse 39. One of the criminals who was hanged there was hurling abuses at him, saying, Are you not Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him and said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? If we indeed are suffering, we indeed, and we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your heaven. And Jesus said to him, Listen to this, Truly, truly, I say to you, today, You shall be with me in paradise. So this thief on the cross repents. Jesus says to him, Today, today, you will be with me in paradise. You will receive eternal life today. Now, how much time was there between the time Jesus said that and the time he died? An hour, two hours, five hours, ten hours? I have no idea. But Jesus told him that on that very day, he would receive eternal life. Which means that, and this is what's so amazing, 
is that a person who comes to Christ one hour before dying will spend eternity in joyful heavenly bliss just as much as someone who walked with God for 300 years. So I ask you this question. I ask you this question. Is that fair? You know, when my... When I became a Christian in 1976, I endeavored to lead my whole family to Christ. And I was just going to everybody. And several did. But my grandfather in Oklahoma refused the gospel. And one day, we heard that he died. But the nurse called us up. And she said, let me explain to you what happened. She said, your grandfather was in his deathbed. And about three o'clock in the morning, he woke up. With all the strength he had left in his body, he sat up in bed. He stretched out his arms and he said, Jesus, please forgive me for all my sins. And then he fell back into bed and he died. Now, I don't know the heart of my grandfather, but God does. Do you realize that if he really reached out to the Lord and begged for forgiveness. And if it really happened the way it was explained to us, that my grandfather received Christ maybe 30 seconds before he died. And that means that he is enjoying the glories of heaven next to Enoch, who walked with God for 300 years. I ask you the question, Is that fair? No. It is grace. That is grace. It is not fair on human terms. It is pure grace that God would grant the same heaven to a man who repents one minute before death that he would present it to a man who walked 300 years before God. This is what the parable shows. Whether you work 12 hours in the vineyard or just one hour, it doesn't matter. When you embrace Christ as Savior, you get heaven, all of it. Now, are there rewards? Yes, 1 Corinthians 3. Do I get it? No. There are rewards, but you know what? They're all in heaven. I mean, everybody gets heaven when they repent and come to Christ. That's pretty motivating. That's motivating to proclaim the gospel. Let me show you a second principle. This is really interesting. See, when you look at this parable, the grace of God shines forth. Secondly, when you consider the differing sacrifices Christians have to make to follow Christ. I mean, think about it. Some of these guys work 12 hours. 12 hours. In the scorching sun, the heat of the day, the painful labor, the blistering day. They were thirsty. They were hungry. They didn't have any ice-cold Cokes waiting for them at the nearby coolers. You know, and these, these days they have these giant gulpers with Velcro. And you can have a big, giant, ice-cold, you know, water. Or now they have even cooler things. Backpacked with tubes, you know. So you can, like, pick your grapes and, and just, like, drink water. I mean, we have a cool thing to do today. In those days, it was just hot water at the end of the vineyard and so some guys really really had it hard 
This is what he was talking about in this parable. Twelve hours. Rough twelve hours. And it illustrates an important truth. Some Christians come to Christ in countries that are very hostile to their faith. Muslims who come to Christ often pay a very high price. They must give up parents and brothers and sisters and wives and husbands and children and houses and lands and money and professions. They are hunted down by their families. I know some. In fact, I, we had a guy in our church. He was a Muslim. He was about to become a Christian. I said to him, Nabil, think very, very, very carefully before you come to Christ because it may cost you your life. Some people really have a hard time. In Hebrews 11, it gives a whole list of people being persecuted. Some were sawn in half. Do you remember that one? I hate that verse. Can you imagine being sawn in half for your faith? If you come to France, there's a museum called the Musée du Désert. Huguenots were evangelicals. And they were persecuted. If I would lived in 1702, I would have received the worst kind of persecution. They had this thing called the wheel. It's a big wheel. They put it up and they strapped pastors on them. Okay, like this. Then they put you flat. And so that everybody could see you in a city square. Then the, um, the executioner would come with a metal bar. And he would start at your feet and he'd go wham and break your bones. And he would start up your legs and he would break the bones of your leg. And then he would break the bones of the other leg. Then he would start with your hands and break all your bones, making sure you did not bleed and did not die. Then he would keep slowly breaking every bone in your arm, and then he would break every bone in your chest up to here. Then once your body was shattered, making sure you were not dead, he would leave you up there until you died for the whole town to see you. That's what pastors got. Pastors' wives got la tour de conscience. It's a massive prison in the south of France. We've been there. The walls were probably as maybe as thick as this entire stage. They put the pastor's wives in there. One, Marie Durand was there for 38 years. Every week, a priest would come and say, you can recant and walk out free. For 38 years, she said no. And she'd carved, and you can still see it, résister, resist. And pastor's children would be sent off to convents and to monasteries to be brainwashed back in the Catholic faith. If you come to my office in Geneva, You'll see on the back of my shelf, beautiful picture of my wife, Meg. Right next to it, I've got a picture of the prison of the Tour de Constance. Right next to it. To remind me that if I'd been born, if I'd lived, been alive in 1702 and captured, I would have gotten the wheel, she would have been in the Tour de Constance, and our kids would have been brainwashed in monasteries. And I read stories like that, I'm going, really? This really happened? Yes, it did. Fact, Christians today, I hear that between six and eight hundred are persecuted and killed for their faith every day in the world. Today. So I look at those Christians and I go, where are they? Where are they? Well, Matthew 19, 29, Jesus said, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farm for my name's sake shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. You know where they are? They're, they're enjoying the bliss of eternal life today. I mean, of course they are. None of us would doubt that. Imagine suffering for your faith that way. But you know what? This is amazing. Not everyone suffers for Christ in that way. Others who know Christ personally seemingly sacrifice little or nothing for their lifetime. Look at me. Look at me. I am a professional missionary. I have never shed one drop of blood for the gospel in my entire life. In fact, it's interesting. Some people are born in free and prosperous nations. They have great jobs. 
They accumulate wealth. They purchase homes, cars, campers, motorcycles, boats. They have good health. They live in countries that have complete religious liberty. They can teach, preach, evangelize freely. They can dream Christian dreams, open Christian schools, open Christian universities, open Christian seminaries. They can own Bibles. They can write Christian books. They can have cool websites and diffuse anything they want on those websites. Radio programs, TV programs. Folks, for some Christians, life is pretty good. Life is actually really good. You know what's amazing? Those who have sacrificed so much for the gospel and those who have sacrificed so little for the gospel, including me, get the same heaven. And I ask, is it fair that I, who have sacrificed so little for the gospel, would receive the same heaven as the pastor who got the wheel, as Marie Durand was in that prison for 38 years, or for those children that were re-brainwashed. Is it fair that I, that we would receive the same heaven as them? No, that is not fair. That is grace. That is pure grace that God would give us that. That's what this parable is illustrating. Some had it so rough, others like walked in the cool evening breeze. That's me. Oh, I've been cursed. I've been mocked. I've been laughed at. Sometimes they call me a Jesus fanatic. I go, I am. (laughs) Oh, that's a really hard persecution. Okay, it does hurt. But wow, compared to others? And this leads to the final one. I want to end up here. I'll give you one last principle. The grace of God shines in this parable when you consider God's incredible patience toward wayward believers. This is really interesting. You know, when pay time came, those hired first, those who had worked all day, they had a real attitude problem, remember? Unfair, they said. How can this be? How can we receive the same salary as those people that hardly did any work at all? You know what's amazing here? They grumbled. They complained. But you know what? They still got their denarius. They still got the denarius. That's right. Wow. You know, Christians can be grumbling and complaining about so much stuff. I'm one of them got to pinch myself and say, wait a minute. I've just received eternal life. You see, what we've got to remember, Christian, is this. You know what I deserve from God? I deserve only one thing, eternal hell, because my life has offended a holy God. So anything better than hell is pure grace. Folks, I've got it way better than hell. I've been received, I've been given eternal heaven plus multiplied blessings on earth. And I complain. I complain sometimes. Oh, the grace of God. Is it fair that I would receive eternal life as a complainer? No. That is grace. See, it's all grace. It's all of God. So, let me finish with this. Life is not fair. Life is grace. 
accept whatever joy, whatever sacrifice is asked of you. Sometimes we'll have to sacrifice. But you know what? We've got heaven waiting for us. So let's accept those sacrifices. Remember that all who come to Christ receive heaven. This is important because I tell Americans often, even the French. Americans don't like the French, but I am one now. We became French. So even the people you don't like, you know, there are Christians you don't like. Maybe, maybe not in Australia. There are Christians sometimes that we don't like. If they're Christians, they will be in heaven with you and with me. So that might help just a little bit to try and work on our attitude. And if you are here this afternoon and you don't know Christ yet, I'm asking you, what are you waiting for? I mean, wow. Just think of what God is granting you freely through Jesus Christ, His grace. Let's pray. Lord, we are humbled and amazed and just, yes, amazed, Lord, by Your grace and Your goodness in our lives. We ask You to forgive us, Lord, for our complaining. We seem to have it so good compared to so many others, Lord, and I pray that we would be worthy of the blessings you've given us. Lord, help us to complain a little less, to praise you more. And Lord, we thank you that heaven is promised to all who trust Christ. And if someone here does not know Christ, that they would embrace him right now by faith and just ask Jesus to forgive him of their sins and give him eternal life right now. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.